0: Hey guys, this is Mary from From the Top. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to come on really quick and give a little bit of a disclaimer. The subject matter that we talk about in this week's episode is very heavy. So we talk about themes of suicide, death, and pedophilia. So if this is not for you, that's totally okay. Skip on to the next episode. Otherwise, if you're going to continue with us, listener discretion is advised, especially for those listeners who might be under the age of 13. Also, if this week's episode's audio is a little bit off, uh, Steven is actually traveling this week for this week's episode. Uh, So it might be a little bit crackly. It might be a little bit echoey because he's not in the studio that he's normally in. So just bear with us and enjoy the show. Happy listening. In this week's episode of From the Top, Bruce is such a weird character because there are moments where I my heart breaks for him, and there are other moments where I'm like, "You should have never had children. Like you did that selfishly, you asshole." Yeah, he was the repair man to, yeah. that helped Dad with a bunch of.
1: Yeah, he helped Dad.
0: Uh, mm, he helped Dad in more ways than just around the house. So, Fuck Annie,
1: <laughs> the sun will come Ooh, out. You betcha. This ring of Keys. It's what I'm saying. Allah funny story why we have so many flowers at funerals it ain't for decoration boo boo oh so you watched me you watched me be a homewrecker we've
2: got magic
0: to do just for you if you had the opportunity to go back and live in the 1970s would you do it and why
1: I might go back just because of, like, Studio 54.
0: Ooh. That's a great reason to go
1: back. Like, I might just go, the fashion was pretty good. Uh, But, yeah, uh, knowing what we know now, no. (laughs) But
0: (laughs) Uh, I would for the fashion, because the fashion of the 70s was kind of funky. But, like, I don't know. Because I identify as a queer person now, I... Don't necessarily know if I could go back and like live my authentic lifestyle because, like, I mean, it was kind of, I mean, '60s was like the free love era, but like we get to the you know '70s and stuff, and it's like if you were queer, you were kind of a pariah, and so I'm like, I mean,
1: kinda, yeah, I don't know. It was although it was the beautiful era right before the AIDS epidemic.
0: Oh, the, I <laughs> so, mean,
1: <laughs> so different for me, it would have been lovely. <laughs> We don't want to talk about that hard topic. Let's no. talk about some other hard topics.
0: Let's do that. Oh, my God. All right. Well, I feel like we, we need to don our bell-bottom jeans. Let's get into it. And the only way to do that is to take this show from, from the, the top. top. From the top. A five, six, seven, nine. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of From the Top, your favorite musical theater cast and review. And my name is Mary, and something about clothes you're wearing, and your red hair, and your iced coffee, and your lace-up boots.
1: <laughs> Fine, we're just gonna list off all the things. And I'm Steven. Oh.
0: <laughs> you're not whistle tone okay. Steven today. Okay.
1: I'm not, I'm not whistletone love song for the ages. Steven today. Oh, uh,
0: but that's such a good thing to be.
1: <laughs> I think I'm just a key on the ring of keys. Today,
0: oh, so. I love that. You're a key on the ring of keys. That's perfect. Well,
1: I am a handsome lesbian. I don't know. Oh,
0: you are the handsomest of lesbians. Like, let's be totally honest about that. On the marquee. We are discussing a show that is very close to home. Ha ha. If we're going to use a little turn of phrase or a pun, uh, we are dis- <laughs> We are going to be discussing Fun Home, the back, musical. It all comes back.
2: It all comes back. There's you and there's me. But now I'm the one who's 43 and stuck. I can't find my way through just like you. Am I just like you? A sign that he was me. I romantic some I, I want to know what's true, dig deep into who, and what, and why, and when. Until now,
0: it's way to I have loved this gauntlet, babe, don't get me wrong, but like... In a season about death, I'm kind of ready for the funeral to be over. I
2: mean, if we're being...
0: Uh, Oh, girl. Girl. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, it's beautiful. Like, death is a part of life, and you have to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But, like, I mean, this show was just really it hit in a different way for me you know just be, i mean you know i lost my father last year and so like this was very like a daddy-daughter relationship and i was like it it brought me you know the same feelings i had when i watched violet and i'm just like oh god all right let's let's work through a daddy-daughter relationship right now uh
1: this one stirred up some weird shit for me too oh so, uh, no kidding really wait to talk about this let's do Jeez. it yeah this this one's a hard show. It's just it's so deep, but it's so beautiful. Yeah. I also I've also gotten to be a part of this show, so yeah! uh, I've gotten to bring this show to to the people. Uh it's near and dear to me, but I think I want to know your take on it. So, Mary, <laughs> three sentences or less. Uh give me a synopsis of this fantastic home. Of a musical.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, do you want to know what's funny? Is actually, I can tell which musicals I'm like really invested in because they are the ones that I will take notes for. So I actually wrote this down. Three sentences or less. The story of a girl who grows up around death in a funeral home. She discovers in college that she's a lesbian and comes out to her family, much to the disappointment of her parents. In the end, through the death of her father, she realizes that they were more alike than she thought. (laughs)
1: Well, that was the most beautiful, succinct delivery I've ever had in my life. That was beautiful. Thank you. Um,
0: See what happens when I write yeah. stuff down? It's so weird. Um.
1: So let's show notes or just take the note that we do that all the time.
0: Okay. Sounds good. I will take the note. I put it in my pocket. Thank you, sir. There I'll we go. Uh, Perfect. Jesus.
1: No, although sometimes I really love just watching you squirm, though. So that would take away some fun for me. So... Maybe not.
0: Um, you like watching me that's squirm. A take it or leave it. Note. Yeah, yeah. Let's just let's we'll deep dive that later. Why you like to watch me squirm? But that's fine.
1: Yeah, it's her journey. It is Allison Bechtel's journey. So mm-hmm. we bring her up all the time. She is integrated into our show. We mm. run a Bechtel test. So Bechtel, of course, if mm-hmm. you don't know, Bechtel. A Bechtel test is whether or not a woman can talk about anything else but a man for there's a set limit of something. It's like over half a page or like two pages or something. Yeah. And uh, can she talk about anything but the love of a man? (laughs) And uh, (laughs) this show in spades is not about a man.
0: (laughs) Not even. I mean, it is about a man, but it's not about the, her love of a man, like, being in love with a man. It's her, like, love that she's wanted to have for her dad, but she, I mean, she knows that there's something not right between the two of them, and she just never can rectify it.
1: So this is sort of a a biography, in a way, Mm -hmm. of her life. Yeah, it's an attempt at answering a question that will never be answered for her. Mm -hmm. And she's trying so hard for this catharsis, um, for these, you know, these questions that are plaguing her in her mind. She's cre- so she sets out to create a graphic novel to figure out her own history and how that ties into her father's suicide mm-hmm. and Uh, she learns so much along the way. Growing up in a funeral home, you know, has proved to be challenging for her in these odd ways and sort of gives her insight as she goes through this story as to why she is the way that she is, why her family dynamic is the way that it is, and why her father was how he was. And, you know, nothing really gets answered like many deaths leave in their wake, you know, so many unanswered questions. But ultimately, we get a peek behind the curtain on what it's really like growing up with death around you mm. all the time.
0: I can't wait for this. It's going to be. Uh, uh, it's going to be Welcome great. Welcome to our house
2: on Maple Island. on the bookcase find all the books we've read and carefully restore he wants what are the
1: players we're working with besides this lovely one miss alison Bechtel?
0: so this cast is interesting because i mean it is it is really an ensemble cast we're looking at looks like 12 characters in total you've got you know somebody who can play um they actually have one person that like will play multiple parts because they're small enough roles and they're never on stage at the same time. So we're multicasting, which is great. Um, that but was uh, yes, yes, it sure was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess the, your named characters or the folks that you see on stage fairly often, um, the first, we will start with our titular character, who is Allison Bechtel. Um, and Allison is our storyteller of the show. She is the, um, I believe she's the eldest of the Bechtel children, the one who is dying for her father's attention. Like she is discovering things about herself. She's always been a very, you know, a big tomboy in her household. And very much to like the chagrin of her father. Like her dad wants her to be a girly girl and has tried to make her that her entire childhood. She goes off to college. She finds out a few things about herself and um, she desperately tries to reconnect kind of with her father or to re- uh, to reconcile a couple of things um, before his untimely passing. Following behind Allison, we have Bruce Bechtel, who is her father. Now Bruce is the owner of the Bechtel funeral home. And uh, he is kind of a tortured soul a little bit we we find out through you know a monologue from her mother and through you know various kind of hints that get dropped during the show uh that he is a closeted homosexual and he has been um you know having dalliances with uh, various people in town um unfortunately a little bit younger than what is probably legal um but he is really living a double life i mean like you know he's he's this you know funeral director by day and he's got this you know family wife and three kids white picket fence i assume and then by night and in his off time he's off doing what horny men do so or you know that's making an assumption but that you know you get my meaning like he's trying to have his cake and eat it too i suppose
1: i always just say it's it's this era it's this time and decade and the way that you know, he grew up Mm -hmm. and that's why he's living his life this way in this sort of secret way. Trying to sort of compartmentalize what is because he feels he has duties one way, but he also is struggling with his own identity and his own self expression Mm -hmm. in a way. And he can't deny certain urges. Some of those urges aren't the greatest. And, you know, so I, you know, we'll get into it, but I don't, sometimes I don't like the stereotype.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: It is. However, it's not really a stereotype because it happened. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Following behind Bruce, we also have Helen Bechtel and Helen is Allison's mother. Um, Helen is your stereotypical suburban mom who's trying to keep everything together. I mean, she's the picture perfect, you know, wife and mother and she's, you know, involved in the community and involved in her kids' lives and trying to be there for her husband and but, you know, we find out too that Allison is uh, or excuse me, Helen is just as tortured as Bruce is. I mean, she's living this life with this man who clearly has checked out, you know, has, and has been for pretty much the entirety of their relationship. Like there is an entire monologue and song that she does that just gives this really beautiful insight and beautifully tragic, I would say insight into her history with Bruce and how they have, you know, through all of the bullshit, like she has stuck with him and has been there to rear the children and to help him grow this business. And it's just, it's so sad to watch her at some moments because it's like, you could be so happy if you just did your own thing, but that's going to be one of the talking points that I'll probably bring up later has to do with Helen. So I'll, I'll leave that in the bag for the moment. We also have um, two versions of Allison as well. We've got small and medium Allison that would, Be uh, respectively her younger self when she was living in the Fun Home, and then her college self once she has you know come out and starts you know kind of figuring out a few more truths about her life, and then we have uh, Christian Bechtel and John Bechtel, who I believe are other siblings, are her two her two brothers, correct? Younger.
1: Two younger siblings. Okay, yeah.
0: perfect. Um, and then, uh, of course, we have Joan, who is uh, Allison's love interest in college. Meets by a happenstance. Not the gay. Is it the Gay Alliance? Is that what it is? That they're.
1: I think. Ali- I think it's set up that Allison was tempted by potentially going to one of these gay meetings mm-hmm. on a college campus but doesn't have the the guts to go in essentially mm-hmm. but then joan happens upon her and then joe and then allison lies and saying oh i'm gonna go to a german club <laughs> Donka." <Danke. laughs>
0: it's so beautifully awkward it just makes my heart kind of happy <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then following behind joan we have, you know, our final cast member who then can who plays multiple roles: uh, Roy, Mark, Pete, Bobby, and Jeremy. Um, all of these men kind of come in and out of the Bechtel family's life at certain points uh, in the show, um, and they are all played by the same character. You can infer that they are a love interest of Bruce at some point in his life.
1: All are love interests except one, which is a uh, funeral goer like oh yeah he's Mm -hmm. he's he's looking for his coffin for his deceased family member Mm -hmm. and the rest are love interests and a lot of them are young or younger Mm -hmm. and then there are some otherwise but yeah it's uh it was in that because that was my character and it was interesting to play (laughs) the not the villain but you were
0: you were villainized in a way
1: it's very clear that this character is Outsider and yep. not not a lot is known and it's sort of coming, you know, coming from the mind of a child, right? <laughs> Who was this in my father's life? And but they happen to be the antagonist in a way because they're the outside force.
0: Well, that is your main cast of characters, my love, for Fun Home. Come to the fun home. That's the
2: best of
0: So fun. (laughs) Ah, So fun. The funnest, the funnest thing.
1: I just find it so almost gut-wrenching that someone could write their selves and something uh, like such an experience that is so raw into this.
0: Seriously. Oh my God.
1: (laughs) I can't even fathom taking some of the hardest moments of your life and then putting it out there for the world. Yeah, to like sort of scrutinize and judge and have their own takes on it, as, you know, in one way or another. But I guess uh, that sort of plays into our next segment. So I think we need to take this from the beginning.
2: That will bring us back to
1: <laughs> the best place to start. Is a history of funerals in general.
0: Oh, okay. I like where we're going.
1: Yes. So I want to know where, how this sort of ceremony came to be and like, what is it? Why is it? How did we come to putting people in the ground, you know, understanding this. We don't really understand this, except uh, for the fact that it mitigates disease, <laughs> like in a modern day lens, right? Neat. Like we, it's shrouded in ceremony, but uh, otherwise it's very reasonable thing to do for the betterment of society. <laughs> so oh my God. uh, legit, scientists have found proof that before we were even evolved, okay, into our tried and true humans as we know ourselves today to be, they were doing funerals in our previous nomadic versions. Oh, sure. One of these versions is known as a homo nalidi in uh in one of our earlier, earliest iterations of human humanity. Sure. And there are cave systems sort of in Eastern Europe, Western Asia, that have been excavated, and in this underground, they have found burial sites and caves and sort of m- caverns that were uh, used for ceremony. Oh, and wow! Okay, meaning that these these people, these groups, this these family units, had to carry the dead. Into this cave system, and like, by torch, because it's pitch black, carry them down, and then they would hold a ceremony in this main cavern, sort of sadness and, like, mourning for all the main family members, and then a select few would then further drag the deceased member of this group or this family unit farther into the cave system down narrow shafts that would go down a hundred yards risking their own lives oh my god and then once they reach the bottom painstakingly dig graves for these people and then do another small ceremony and bury them there. Then this family unit should then reemerge into the sunlight on the top and sort of as whatever this new unit was. Sure. And so it's sort of a rebirth. It's sort of beautiful in a way. It's this burst of daylight to be, you know, risen again anew. This is known to be the earliest we can find. And this is approximately, get ready, 300 000 to 400,000 years ago.
0: Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So,
1: that's insane you can't help but wonder if this is assisting in this idea of an underground death world right like like the underworld where Hades lives and you know why so you know as time goes on spurning these stories passed through generations coming into what we know today and you know how stories can change and why we do such things and oh you get taken to the underground when you die Wow. so like I think it has something to do with it I really do so that could be fun I just saw that connection and went Oh, especially coming out of Hades town.
0: Yes. Oh, my God. Tell me
1: more. It was early on discerned, like I said in our history, that we were not good to be around once we die. Like, we were (laughs) filled with disease and, like, rotting corpses was not quite sanitary. Not really. So it didn't take too long for us to figure out we just need to easily bury them under the ground. And then, but then you have major rituals also, like, all at Egypt with mummification, Norse... You know, legend. Canoe fire burnings. And, you know, sure. whatever beliefs you have in areas you live in, things spurn and spring up from there. It was around colonization that the modern westernization of dealing with the deceased began. So, medieval to what we now know. A death would happen and a service was generally held in the person's home. Like in the parlor or main room. Sure. And you had a couple days uh, before things really went south. And then they would be taken to the cemetery and then buried. This was harsh and this was rough, especially in the summer. Like... It was hot. It was probably smelly. Like, Allah, funny story, why we have so many flowers at funerals. It ain't for decoration, boo-boo.
0: It's to cover up the smell.
1: (laughs) Oh, God. Cover up that smell of leaking fluids onto your parlor rug, Nana. Gross, Nana, not the fluids. (laughs) We... We got a little savvy, and around 1750, a resurgence of embalming came onto the scene. And oh. We understood that this was how ancient Egyptians used to do this. And we said, that sounds like a good idea. Besides not having to host a dead body in your own home, you sort of got to preserve a body longer, right? Allowing for more people to come and mourn the deceased or sure. you know, celebrate the life of the deceased in that way. So it was sort of a two for one. It was good. It was a good shift in how we we deal with You know, are dead funeral parlors became normal over the following century and sort of evolved into the practices that we have today. It's still very much a medicinal practice, like, you know, they're inherited by family to family. Those trades are, you know, taught to their, you know, progeny and then passed on. Or, you know, you find someone and mold them into the position, you know, with a residency of learning. Uh, you know, from a previously trained person, like, you know, a lot of, you know, medical stuff is done today too. So like we, we call it residencies because you still have to learn from someone who knows what they're doing. Yes. You can't quite learn how to do incisions and things from a textbook.
0: So, <laughs> I'm not, That's more of a hands-on learning experience.
1: <laughs> that's just sort of a history of funerals and sort of how they came to be a funeral home and why we do things the way we do nowadays.
0: Wow. That's crazy. That, oh man, there, it, yeah. it makes me think of a, there was a quick story that I, that I heard in Ireland that it was, you know, the, um, the reason why you call it a wake is you take you know, two to three days um, because there were uh, back in the seventeen eighteen hundreds 1800s was a group of people that tainted a bunch of whiskey in Ireland. So when you drank it, like if you didn't pour out what was called the, the, um, um, that's why you pour one out for your homies, right? Because you're giving uh, the, um, right. the I can't remember, it's not called the angel share, but it is something similar to that. But you would mm-hmm. pour it out because most of the um, particulates that were poison would be at the top of the bottle so you could pour them out. But you had a wake and you did a party for three days because some people were just sleeping and not actually dead. So you were waiting for them to wake you up. To, to make sure mm-hmm. they weren't
1: dead. Yes,
0: <laughs> you had to make sure they were dead. So it was very well, weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> yeah,
1: speaking of I, the that's why they have the bells next to you know gravestones, ding, ding. And a mm-hmm. string into your coffin. So in case you weren't dead, you ding. hear the gravestone bell.
0: Oh, that's just that's a terror. That's an unnatural fear oh, that I have. Right. No, thank what, you.
1: What scary movie is it? The Nun. Yes,
0: it is the Nun. Where the whole the oh. Nun two, where the whole yeah the entire graves are all or no, it's the Nun. Yeah, that all of the uh, headstones are shaking. Yeah, with bells. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uncute.
0: <laughs> uncute. Do not subscribe. <laughs> none cute but i'm bumped maybe not
2: right now maybe not right now la la la
0: la i know this type
1: This type of married guy, I could just give him the slip, but why? It's not a big deal, I know he wants me. So this musical we actually have no fun things with this <laughs> <laughs> other than the normal broadway thing however what i do have to tell you i thought it would be more interesting to sort of since this is such an autobiographical musical get some quotes and get some like direct things from sure, Alison Bechtel sure. herself on the building of this because otherwise it's The five-year road to Broadway, as it always is. You find the backing, you find the theaters, you revise the script, da, 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 da. Bechtel never actually suspected that Fun Home would be, um, or really have a life beyond this, you know, story, this graphic novel that she had created. Like, she had no machinations to want this anything larger than her own sort of cathartic graphic novel on figuring (laughs) out what this was. Um, it was getting lots of commercial interest. That, there's no lie in that. It was even looked at for a film. Um, oh, no way. She, she didn't want it to be in film because she was really worried that it would be a flop, like no one would like it. This is the quote. It seemed harmless enough. I had turned down a movie on the grounds that if it wasn't good, it would be awful to have it out there in the world. This terrible version of a most intimate history. But a musical, I was naive. I thought if it's a bad musical, it's just going to disappear. Let's talk about like the Xanadus of the world. Like it suddenly be, it has this life of its own to be known as a D-list movie. And that seems to last longer than sure. a musical that might, you know, not do well. Sure. Musicals tend to just vanish if they don't do well. A film, for some reason, tends to be put on some list, and then made fun of for the rest of all history. Oh yes. Imagine that being your personal, most intimate moments of life no. and being, like, shat upon. So <laughs> uh, she, she said no. However, uh, uh, acclaimed playwright and performer Lisa Crone and uh, Tony-nominated composer Janine Tesori did approach Alison Bechtel and they had saw something in this text and said, I think we can put this onto a stage she was also really worried about representation of lesbians in art sure they're not always portrayed the best they're always the butt of the joke it's been made fun of or you know get the u-haul and da 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 or it's the butch lesbian so they're then just called a man and they didn't she she didn't want any of that she wanted nothing to do with that mm-hmm. so um you know promises are made that's not going to be how this is portrayed we see the heart in this we want to build what this story is sure Now, the struggles with Fun Home proper were that because it's a graphic novel, there ain't no meat besides some pictures and a (laughs) caption. (laughs) caption so so you sort of have to build you have to build these characters from images you have to build them from inference you don't have this rich deep dive of a history to go into except allison and the problem is allison was writing down what she remembered in picture form and that's as good as she got so there are blanks there are moments she doesn't quite remember but she was a wealth of knowledge just in you know the assistance of this Mm. but the fun thing is she also really trusted these two individuals with this story which is not normal like we're gonna go back to Gregory Maguire uh with uh Wicked in that he was so unhappy with the final product because he didn't even recognize what this was Mm -hmm. essentially and was like I trusted you guys what is this (laughs) but Bechtel was just like you know I Trust you, I like who you are. I think, you know, no matter what this turns out to be, it's going to be something purposeful and has something. So uh, went through many, many different iterations, of course. They had. They went through a lot of growth and trying to figure out who these people were. Um, <clears throat> so from Ojai Playwrights Conference in California to the Sundance Institute of Theater Lab in Florida, uh, all the way up to Public Theater in New York, Fun Home developed. There are no scenes... In the book of fun home there are moments in time sorry this is a quote from lisa Crohn. there's a frame where a kid is eating a bowl of cereal and a parent is leaving and then you have allison's narrative voice that's not a scene so the story has to be told through actions of characters Who are unaware of the defining moment and what's going to happen in the future. And we don't know what that is. We don't know how to build from here. Really, the challenge with this show was figuring out how to put this out of sequence story into something coherent onto a stage. Sure. Bechtel does even go on to state that there are absolutely made up moments in this show, but they feel real to her sure she gives it such a pass to say when i watch this it feels like i'm watching my childhood Mm -hmm. and even though i know that this didn't happen who am i to say it didn't because it could have and if it even if it didn't happen it would have happened this way so again we're gonna bring it back to what is the truth but simply the thing we all agree upon yes
0: let's bring it back to wicked everything comes back to wicked yeah
1: Bechtel does go on to say i i like i wonder if it is because of the way two registers collide in a musical you have drama and music in comics because uh in comics writing, and pictures. They operate differently, but with the same power. I think there should be a kind of therapy where people hire playwrights and composers to make musical theater of their sad childhoods because it was super (gasps) cathartic for her. And I think it gave her even more of the answers and the piece that she was looking for, too. The way that they were able to string this together, it sort of put some puzzle pieces together, maybe that she was even missing herself.
0: Oh, that's so pretty. I love that, Stephen. What a great history for that show. I kind of wanted to just keep it simple
1: with this. No dates, no major things. This was on the scene uh, circa Broadway debut in 2015 after having been previously opened in 2013 to major amazing critical acclaim.
0: Well, that is an excellent segue. So I think we should slide right into a critics review. Alright, so tonight's review for Fun Home does come courtesy of Entertainment Weekly, and this was published in uh, on April 19th of 2015. Broadway has traditionally thrived on misfits, disfigured phantoms, consumptive French prostitutes, grown adults dressed like sizing felines, even a glittery self-proclaimed girly boy with an angry inch. But Fun Home, now showing at Circle in the Square Theater in an in-the-round staging, may still be one of the least likely musicals ever to come to the Great White Way. Then again, the memoir it's based on, Alison Bechtel's 2006 graphic novel of the same name, was an equally unlikely literary phenomenon. The hand-drawn story of a girl who grew up in a gloomy Victorian playing hide-and-seek in caskets with her brothers, her father was the town's part-time undertaker, and trying to solve the mystery of her parents' unhappy marriage, He was also, it turns out, having sexual liaisons with the men, some of them teenagers. Or, as the adult Allison, Beth Malone, says frankly in the play, Dad and I both grew up in the same small Pennsylvania town, and he was gay, and I was gay, and he killed himself, and I became a lesbian cartoonist. Malone is actually only one of three iterations of Allison on stage. She appears as a sweet, scrappy kid played by Sydney Lucas, as an, as an Oberlin undergrad, played by Emily Skeggs, finally coming into her own sexuality. No, Allison is ever on stage without one of her other selves for long. Even when Malone isn't speaking, she's almost always perched somewhere nearby, watching over and sometimes interjecting on the action. The clever construction of the set pieces, rise and fall from the trapdoor floor panels like stealth magic tricks, allows scenes to move seamlessly between drawing rooms and dorm rooms and back again. And of course, this this review does go on to you know say a lot of other beautiful things. Much like we talk about it with a lot of the other shows that we've discussed, um, this is always it, it. Always feels like an underdog show where it's. Like oh this is this isn't oh, gonna yeah. work and it's always the thing that you don't think is gonna work that then you put it on stage and you're like yeah. huh wild that does work very well
1: this was not on my radar
0: <laughs> I
1: I didn't I saw what the subject matter of this show was and went no
0: <laughs> no thanks I'm out
1: yeah I, it was just hard no hard pass <laughs> hard no I collect I pass go to collect my two hundred dollars. <laughs> Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, let's uh, swiftly go into experience with the show. I, I really, the second I saw this come across, read the synopsis, I went, no. And it was right around 2015 when it hit the scene. Sure. And I had not touched it, not looked at it, not listened to it for a moment since then. Like, I hadn't heard about it, and that was it done sure nada and then all of a sudden I was approached to do the choreography for the show and then like I always end up doing got sucked into the show <laughs> I, it was it was uh <laughs> just ends up you know what you do but I do. uh I don't know I was really excited to then become a part of the show once I got into the subject matter in the meat, and was like you know what this is actually really really beautiful like yeah. it, it's it's a story that should be told because i think it um it has a lot of overarching themes to that people can relate to overall I was just super excited to become a part of the show and it was great so i you know really easy my experience with the show with this what's yours because you you seem to have already loved and known this show when i announced it to you
0: well so i loved it uh, actually because i was able to see it uh locally at uh, the theater that is in my town
1: oh so you watched me you watched me be a homewrecker. Oh, okay, I awesome.
0: absolutely did. And I loved literally every second of it. It was beautiful. Because <laughs> um, I can't remember what year did they do that? I mean, it was after Spring Awakening, wasn't it?
1: 2016, 2017. Okay,
0: so we were friends at that point, And I think you were the main reason why I went to go see the show because you said that you were in it. So, but, yeah. Well, I,
1: mean, I got cast as the choreographer because of Spring Awakening. The sure. director had gone to Spring Awakening and was like, oh, we have another choreographer in town. Okay.
0: <laughs> oh, you know what you're doing? Delightful. Will you come help me, please? Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what happened. Oh, so good. Um, But so that was really kind of the the driving force to send me to the show. Of course, I had other people in the show that I knew that I was thrilled to be able to see on stage. Um, But uh, yeah, my friend Aubrey was uh, the one who uh, played Allison and she was just absolutely just
1: oh, freaking. I, I Aubrey, love too.
0: Aubrey. She's so good. Um, But before that, I have, you know, of course, like with a lot of these shows that I've uh, that we've covered over the last couple seasons, the music just showed up in in Spotify. So really the the main, the big songs, Welcome to the Fun Home, uh, Ring of Keys, and then Telephone Wire, those were the three songs that kind of consistently showed up in like some, you know, name the Broadway playlist, it would be on it. Um, and then, so I had heard the music and then I went and saw the show and oh my God, just absolutely I mean, heartbreaking, but in a beautiful way. And if I ever got the chance, I would play Allison Bechtel in a minute. But yeah, that's my experience with the show. Very, again, very surface level. I've never been in it. I've seen my friends in it. Uh, the music is wonderful and I put it on a lot of my playlists, but um, that uh, that's, a, thats about sums it up.
2: I despise this dress. What's the matter with boy shirts and pants? You're
1: a
0: girl?
2: This dress makes me feel like a clown. I hate it.
1: That's enough. We're late.
2: You're wearing a girl color?
1: Every other girl at this party is going to be wearing her prettiest dress. And you want to put on what? What? Your jean jacket? Trousers? It's all right with me. You understand. You'll be the only girl there not wearing a dress, right?
2: Is that what you want? You want people talking about you? Behind your back? It's right with me. Change your clothes.
1: Well? Go ahead. Are you gonna change?
2: Maybe not right now. Maybe not right well, now. Well,
0: let's
1: drain some of this embalming fluid. Ooh! And get into some talking points here. Oh,
0: I love talking points! Yes, let's go. Let's dive into the meat. Let's get into her
1: growing up The a funeral home. Right. As your home. <laughs> uh, so, Allison is constantly being bombarded with death. Her friend's parents are dying, and she's... I think there's a hardness and almost levity that you have to then sort of put your mental mindset in right absolutely you you place yourself around it because this because of that subject matter what what do you do you have to laugh or cry i guess and just move on (laughs) in the way it's sort of this family's bread and butter right we know that he does this so it's the business it's the business of death Mm -hmm. and everyone in this family is desensitized in every way not only just around death But they're sort of living corpses.
0: Absolutely. I, I actually made a note as I was uh, watching the show that uh, the funeral home is a perfect setting uh, because we are making one look, quote, normal, despite what has happened to them. We've got an entire like exchange between Bruce and then someone who comes in who's like, are you sure you can cover the bruises? And he goes, yes, we'll make them look just as good as they did in real life. And uh, the outward appearance means everything to Bruce. He wants things to look a certain way. Not that we care about what's going on in here, you <laughs> It, everything has to look normal which is exactly what you do in a funeral home. You make the the deceased look like they did when they were alive. We don't really know what's going on inside because obviously like, you know, I mean okay, not to be that weird girl, but I have seen a dead body and like I got to go to an autopsy when I was 15. So like I know what they do to when they're done yeah. with everything. So like it's but the theme of that is making everything look normal because he himself is battling things on the inside that he knows or feels aren't normal and that is his struggle throughout the entire show is to the house has to look clean the children have to look like they're normal he has to look like a businessman like everything is a stereotype and it's just it was a perfect setting for this show perfect yeah
1: we talked about this in hadestown the sort of numbness that you get to sort of feel yeah and how you have to sidestep major feelings and do whatever you need to do to get through the day and just feel normal, right? Yep. And so it sort of but I think it overall gives us insight into how this dad was so good at compartmentalizing and ergo how Allison grew up being able to do so well compartmentalizing what she did uh
0: absolutely you know
1: and I, th- I think first off i think we need to talk about this dad before we can go into anything else because he's sort of the first domino in sure. this family right mm-hmm. so this dad uh <laughs> <laughs> so we need to peel back layers like layer by layer to figure out if we hate him do we feel sorry <laughs> for him like, like what this <sighs> I'm, again, I am probably really biased because...
0: Huh, I wonder why you would be biased, my love. (laughs) Uh,
1: You were there, girl.
0: So, I had
1: a relationship. (laughs) I dated a Bruce. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, lamps had to be turned at just the proper angle... Chairs had to be cleaned. You couldn't do anything. It had to look like a magazine all the time in where I lived. I remember always stating, I don't want to live in a museum magazine. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. And it was not an option. And so, like, lots of extenuating circumstances because people are like, Steven, then you just leave. I'm like, sometimes it's not that simple. You're like, hold up.
0: (laughs) Calm down.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But when I look at Bruce girl it's just it's just hard because i go i lived that i lived this and mm-hmm. it it is so it is so mentally jarring eventually you just get worn down and you just do it you just mm-hmm. understand that this is how it has to go this is what you need to do this is how you keep it easy cuz you don't want to fight anymore and that's what everyone in this family does they know that dad needs it a certain way and if it's not hell to pay
0: absolutely and i i think that it's it's very important too that the the line gets dropped a couple of times this place is like a museum right because you just said museum magazine living right oh yeah and I find it fascinating that they use that specifically because in you know kind of butted up against this funeral director who is trying to make everything look normal we have that as one layer the next layer is in a museum you can look but you can't touch right everything is behind glass everything is behind ropes like there is a separation between the pretty thing and then the people looking at it. And it absolutely is how Bruce wants his life to be. Like he wants people to look at him, right? And look at the pretty things that he's got. But the second you touch it, it shatters the illusion and he panics. So it's Allison's dad, I wrote Allison's dad, Bruce wants what a family looks like, not what a family actually is. Because family is messy. Family is chaos. Family is... Stuff that is not compartmentalized into boxes. Like, everything overflows with one another. And he spends the entirety of his life trying to make it look a certain way. And it's just heartbreaking.
1: One hundred. I Like, this is, it's all about looks. It's the pomp and circumstance of it all to a T. And you sort of have to put on that facade, right? And all will be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, A raincoat of love, if you will. If you will. But... We Like, it's almost rude to bring up, oh, you're just so type A, it has to be this way. He's doing it for a reason. He's doing it to cover up all of these internal emotions and feelings that he's actually feeling. So in that regard, I feel super sorry for him. Because like I said, it's just sort of this time and era in which Bruce probably grew up. And that was just the norm. That's how it was. But it's hard to get over some of the things that Bruce would be doing, Mm -hmm. such as... Looking for younger men. And even if they happen to be a little underage, he went, well,
0: (laughs) Hmm. he overlooked it like it was he was justifying it to himself like it's I'm the only one who knows about it. So it's not really bad. And then it became bad when other people found out about it. (laughs) Yeah. Weird. And
1: so yeah. So you have this arrest. You have yeah. this social pariah status, and how now the family is having to deal with this outside sort of idea of what their family is, mm-hmm. and fight that as well. Not yeah. only are you the weirdo because you are in a funeral home, you're the weirdo because your dad's a pedophile, and you're going what? Yeah. <laughs> how do you, how do you come to terms with that?
0: Well, and it's the fact that, you know, Allison only discovers this because her mother says it to her when she's in college. Like, you know, when, when your kids, you have a very different view of what, what's right and wrong, but children inherently know what is right and wrong, right? And so the fact that, Allison rectifies pretty quickly that something, I mean, while it is explained in, you know, not a supportive way, something wrong with her because she's always had feelings about women, you know, the way that she's seen men feel about women. She goes, I don't know how I feel about this. And then she knows that there's something wrong between her parents, but she can't figure it out. And then it's not until mom goes, oh yeah, your dad like did this, that she goes, holy shit like that explains so many things that happened in my childhood and it just feels like all the pieces start falling together and she's like oh, oh, oh. so that's who Roy was mm. oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah he was the repair man to, yeah. that helped dad with a bunch of yeah he helped dad <laughs> uh, mm, he helped dad in more ways than just around the house so oh
2: my god last night Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god Last night, I got so excited I was too enthusiastic Thank you for not laughing Well, you laughed a little bit At one point when I was touching you And said I might lose consciousness Which you said was adorable And I just have to trust That you don't think I'm an idiot Or some kind of an animal I never lost control due to overwhelming lust But I must say that I'm changing my major to Joan. I'm changing my major to sex with Joan. I'm changing my major to sex with Joan. With a minor in kissing
1: Joan. We see that dad dropped the facade, dropped the perfection, dropped his rules for the guy. Mm-hmm. When the guy would enter the space, he'd be like, no, it's fine. Sit. You're dirty, but you can sit on the couch. Mm-hmm. No, it's t- it's whatever. No, you like feel free. Let, let loose a little bit. It's not a problem.
0: I think I, I feel like part of that is you know when we are when we're dating right when you first start like liking people or you know doing whatever you want to come off as somebody who is very casual and easygoing and you don't you know yeah. you're hiding those things about yourself that you criticize and i think He does it in front of the men because he wants them to feel comfortable. He wants to impress them a little bit, which, you know, that whole first exchange pouring wine or like cognac or whatever it is for Roy. And they sit there and he's like, well, unbutton your shirt. And so then they start doing a thing he's doing that because he's trying to be attractive, right? And neuroses isn't attractive. So he he does it with his family because he's already committed, right? Uh, Helen is already his wife. He already has three children. Those are the knowns in his world. So he doesn't have to work on those because he, you know, again, this is me projecting a lot of things onto a character. But outwardly, it appears as though he has that locked in. So he's like, I don't gotta work on that. I'm gonna work on this, but I gotta be easygoing so that they will not let their guard down because that sounds a little predatory. But I want them to feel comfortable. I, so I
1: would say, for to some degree, you can say predatory.
0: <laughs> so he's trying to not be threatening because if that's the case, they'll leave, and he doesn't want them to leave. So in order to do that, the best way to do that is to you know come off as no. Just, I'm an easygoing guy. I can still break a few hearts. He says that a few times in the show. And so 100. I think that that's where that comes from, I I think. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, because I remember playing this character. You know, you're in your Stanislavski world and oh, you walk into boy. this library thing and you're like, I see the, you know, couch he's wanting me to sit on and he's pouring me the glass of brandy or whatever. And <laughs>
0: you're like, oh boy, here and we I'm, go. I'm
1: look, I'm looking around going, I, I don't want to touch, I don't want to touch shit. Uh-uh. And... Roy has this, like, one line in the show where, he, or in the song, where he goes, like, I know exactly the type of guy that this is. I mm-hmm. could dot, ditch him in, like, two seconds, but, like, why? Why would I? Yeah, this like, seems I fun right it. now. I want it, he wants it, so let's go. Dang! And, and I mean, like, that's the whole thing, because I remember being like, I see through your bullshit. But,
0: <laughs> let's go.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I just think it's really interesting that there's this sort of sense of denial and I think that ties into like the numbness factor it's how we cope and it's his denial of everything Mm -hmm. and just sort of letting something live and so that's the coping mechanism that's the you sort of have to kill a part of yourself in a way at certain points of time just to survive.
0: Absolutely. And that's a huge theme of the show is death of oneself. And Allison, who dies kind of to her old self when she, you know, meets Joan and is able to really kind of embrace the fact that she is a lesbian and that she's always loved women and that she feels like, you know, she's gets a new outlook on life. And then, you know, butted up against that, we have her father who, one of the notes that I wrote, um, you know, during his song, um, when he, uh, is singing, you know, why am I standing here? That is such a loaded sentence, right? Oh. Because like you've got, you've got metaphorically, why am I standing here when I'm, you know, I could be living my life, but I'm not doing it. And then physically, why am I standing in the middle of the road waiting for a truck to hit me? Like it, it is, it's heartbreaking because, you know, it's, it's a powerful moment to, 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 I don't know. The question then becomes, is it, what did I write down? Um, Is it better to be dead than to accept yourself for who you really are? And that's a really big, it's a big kind of the id, right? Like how can, can you ever truly accept who you are and rectify that you have felt wrong about it for so long? And that's kind of the tragic story of Bruce as a character, is he spends his whole life trying to be two different people. And in the end, he just asks himself, why didn't I just do this in the first place? I mean, it oh, it's just, it's heartbreaking. It's really, truly, I think. I mean.
1: Truly, it's heartbreaking. And because oh, and we see near the end of the show, uh, he ends up buying this old house. There's a metaphor there because he... Can see its potential. He can see what it should be. He wants to make it beautiful and as it should be. But he ends up just standing around staring at things all the time. And he can't get anything done. And it's just like his life. He ends up just standing around. Why am I standing here? And, you know, how can you be your authentic self if you do nothing To move forward.
0: What I found really fascinating about um, just the staging of Bruce's death, like right at the very end, we've got, you know, like current Allison looking at her father as he's saying things like, Why am I standing here? And all of the furniture disappears into the floor, right? So we've got this metaphysical plane of her yelling at her father, going, Why just talk to me? Like what we've come off of this, you know, car ride that they've had together. And, you know, he starts asking this question, Why am I standing here? And, um, you know, she's yelling at him going, why didn't you step out of the way? Why did you stand there and let this thing do this? And I, I, it's a kind of a, I don't know, a question that um, I think about probably more often than I should. Do we do this same thing in life? Do we, we see things that are coming at us head on and we just choose to stand there because it's easier for us to be hit by something than it is to take the effort to move out of its way? And, like, how often in life do we, do we justify metaphorically getting hit by a truck because it's easier to do that than it is to do the work to get out of the road? And it, it's such a powerful thing to think about that he made the choice that it is easier for me to step in front of a truck and die than it is to try to explain myself to everyone in my life who now sees me as something else.
2: Four miles from our door Christopher Street, the road not taken, just four miles from our door. You were born on this farm, here's our house, here's the spot where you died. Your life inside.
1: Again, these are the questions that Allison was trying to sort of uncover. Why, Dad? Why did you do this? Was it my conversation that made you do this? <sighs> Why couldn't you have just been honest with me? Why didn't yeah. you tell me sooner? Why did you even live this life? Like, she's asking these questions, and there yeah. are no answers, nor will they ever be answered. And that is hard.
0: That's the hardest part about... Losing someone that you care about, um, especially when you, yeah, when you didn't have the opportunity to ask them those questions, like, I find often there are questions that I wish I would have asked my mother, that I would have asked my father. I mean, and you think about them in moments that, you know, just kind of show up out of nowhere, but as somebody who really struggles with not knowing the answers to questions, like, that is one that has, that's a lesson that I have kind of been taught a few times over, but it's still one that I struggle with because I just I am I'm the bitch that's gotta know. And if I don't know, it drives me crazy. And that is just the cruelest part of friends. Exactly. It is (laughs) one of the reasons why we are friends. But uh yeah, it's just the cruel it's the cruelest part of life, I feel that you don't get to have those answers. Uh well
1: let's take a little jaunt to uh back to Eight years old, how abouts? Uh, let's talk about some of these kids and this these kids scenes oh, and how they feel.
0: These kids,
1: yeah, uh, it'll be a nice little reprieve. So there's of course the "Come to the Fun Home" song. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
1: it's absolutely the bop of the show, I would say. There's it's really sure. real good, and uh, they're they're in the main funeral parlor mm-hmm. uh, or showing room. And they they're trying to make a commercial for, <laughs> for the, the funeral, funeral home. home. The Bechtel funeral home. What it is, uh, what it is. And it's so cool what they did, and I found it stylistically brilliant. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Jackson 5 meets Sesame Street Yay! in this 70s sort of perfection. It was so good. Because this is their reference. This is what they would know. Yep. This is how they would have seen the world. And uh, it's sort of interesting. It also, because like I said, it sort of offers this levity. It shows how sort of separated, disassociated they are from what their family business actually does. Yep.
0: (laughs) They sing about all of these things that the Bechtel Funeral Home has in such a happy way that it's like, I mean, one of the boys goes so far as to say that the embalming fluid is like the best and he's trying to drink it. And I'm like, my guy, what are you doing? Stop that.
1: Yeah, but it just sort of shows like the desensitizedness that these kids are to everything and how jovial, like their home is fun. It's the fun home, which is just the best play on funeral home. It's the bless that marketing genius. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Right. I mean, I think it's to also a good look into a child's mind because, you know, again, like kids see death in a very different way and they see life in a very different way. And I think that that is one thing that your brain does to protect you to protect you from the grave reality of what's happening is it it paints it in this way that is, uh, you know, welcome to the fun home. Like these kids have no other way to describe it to themselves other than that. And so it's, it's a really great way to take such a dark topic and make it something relatable because that's what our brain does is it gives us something else to think about to protect us from the gravity of that. And so it's a great little insert into this whole I mean menagerie of of sadness like to have this one moment where you've got kids that are you know doing what siblings do I mean you play a tape deck and you start trying to sing songs and like do this like it is absolutely what people would do at any point being a child.
1: It's just really interesting the dynamic of these kids and how they live and how you get to see how they cope with their families Profession of choice, we'll say, and yeah. that they didn't really have a choice, and and how just benign all of it really is mm-hmm. to them. But I, one of the big, there are two huge portions of I would say um, Allison's childhood interactions with her father mm-hmm. that stick out to me, and it's one the first time that her dad shows her the dead body
0: and calls her back to help with the scissors. Oh my god!
1: And <sighs> Yeah, and like even adult Allison's narration is like, "Why dad? Why did you do that? Was this one of your tests? What what was this?" Yep. As someone whose father does little tests all the time, I absolutely understand <sighs> oh, that. Babe. That quote. But she's also just like, "Maybe you just needed the scissors." I'll never know.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but it affected her. It it was the first time she was actually faced with what her father does mm-hmm. to put food on the table. And that she then had to layer in a different idea of death, a different sort of, compartment to box something in
0: yeah I uh, you compartmentalization I I love as a theme of this show because randomly I just had the image of the the squares that are projected on the yeah, top of the stage it's
1: all within its own space and yep. it doesn't go out
0: yep and it was it's a perfect representation of what is happening internally with the family and it's just, it's it was beautiful stylistically it was a great choice
1: well and if you want to think about it it looks like the pages of her graphic novel
0: oh ah ah it's panels in a graphic (laughs) i'm oh god i love that i just came to that realization as you okay we're just gonna pretend like i'm a smart theater kid and that i knew that
1: it's all good girl but i think the next major portion of her childhood that needs to be talked about with her dad is sort of the beginnings speaking of her graphic novel is the moment where she's drawing a picture and her dad (sighs) essentially takes over and says, Nope, it needs to be this way because you don't want to be made fun of and you're not doing it right. And it's not going to work because this family needs to be a united front and we're all perfect all Uh, the time.
0: Oh my God. I, yeah, this, that scene was just so, so heartbreaking. Allison has, I mean, daddy issues, but, like, in the sense that she has always felt disconnected from her father. Like, he's never really, like, loved the children like a dad really does. Like, I feel like Bruce had kids because he was like, oh, this is what a normal guy would do, so I'm gonna have kids. But, like, this... Yeah. I'm trying to find, um, yeah. So the what I, what I noted, um, the, you're projecting on your kids, like with, as far as like appearances go, right. Just like you said, he goes, this is going to be shown at school. People are going to see this. So it needs to be absolutely like immaculate. But then, you know, if, If you were to take a drawing that an adult did and take it to school, no one is going to believe that an eight-year-old child did this drawing. Yeah. Like, I don't care how good you are at art. Like, an eight-year-old is not going to have the same like, references as, you know, a 30- or a 40-year-old man is going to. So, like, yeah. and more to the point, like, the it's a great kind of lens into sometimes what parents do because they're trying to live vicariously through their children, so they're trying to go back and fix what they couldn't do before. So the fact that he st- starts it from a place of, like, let me help you and then yanks it out of her hands and changes it and goes, no, this is better, you know, she's like, well, I want to try. And he goes, no, you're just going to ruin it. Like, it is so hard to watch that happen. You would hope that like, that he's trying to come from a good place where he's just trying to give her the best thing. But by doing so, you have now ruined her because you're not letting her do it for herself. You're telling her that what she thinks and what she sees is wrong. And the only way to do it is to have a man do it for you. And it's like, no, none of those things are real.
1: I think he's starting to see bits in her Mm -hmm. of who she could potentially grow up to be and is now trying to impart his ways of life and going, you're going to have to start being perfect because people are going to start watching. As we can see, the first time she has to wear a dress in the show... And how she explains how awkward she feels in a dress. She doesn't like wearing them. And her dad goes, well, every other girl's going to be there in a dress. Do you want to be there in your jean jacket and dungarees? Is that really what you want to do? Because people are going to be staring. I literally... go change. And she's like, me... Maybe not right now.
0: (laughs) It's so, that is, it's gaslighting, it's bullying, it's you are looking at your daughter, manipulating her, telling her that she's going to look different. And of course, no eight-year-old child is going to go, yeah, fuck people, like, I'll look different. Like, they want to conform and fit in and be accepted. So of course, looking at her going, well, I mean... You sure you don't? It's like when you're caught lying and your parents go, are you sure that that's all you want to tell me? Oh. Like, it's like, mm. <laughs> that visceral
2: reaction. I right? Had. I know. You're just like, oh,
0: <laughs> it's awful. And yeah. it's just, it's wrong that he did that to her. And they, I mean, uh Bruce is such a weird character because there are moments where I my heart breaks for him and there are other moments where I'm like you should have never had children like you did that selfishly you asshole
1: I love the the ebb and flow that we do feel for him yeah. right cuz and I think that's why I started off these talking points with that question do we feel bad do we not because there are moments where I'm just like oh.
2: today I woke up with a feeling that I did not recognize Seemed far away and everything was made of lies, lies yeah. The sky was turning dark when baby I looked in your eyes And that's when I knew Oh, oh, oh. everything's all right
0: But then, like, let's flip this coin really quick on the other side of it. Looking at Helen, right? So we've got oh, this.
1: She's my next talking boy. Oh my
0: god, she is equally. I. The biggest question that I have of Helen is why stay with someone for so long, raise children and have a home with someone when it's a total sham. Her entire song, days and days, right? She is basically giving this entire speech to her daughter about I. I will not let you give away days and days of your life like I did my life because that's yeah. not fair and it's not right. You know, she equally is on the other side of this spectrum going, well, I don't want to shatter the illusion because it's easier to go along with it than it is to live my authentic life. Yeah, So I might as well just do that.
1: Yeah. I mean, because I think there's a couple things with that too, because you can double on entendre the meaning of days and days and she gets into it where it's not about the days and days I've wasted only. Right. It's, it's also about it took days and days to sort of slowly wear down mm-hmm. and we can bring back in. He didn't start off like this a la how he is with Roy. It took a lot of time. It took a lot of grooming. It took a lot of small Tiny changes to happen and expectations to impart that suddenly here we are Mm -hmm. and there's no way out And when when you're married for that long, when you have kids, when you are of that era, like who knows if she could even open up her own bank account at that point of time.
0: Yeah, that she had to latch herself onto to somebody to be able to have the, you know, the rights and privileges of being, you know, a, a married white woman in America. Like you really couldn't do that on your own because at this point in time, I mean, yeah, there were people who were like independent and you could like do a lot of things, but it was the stereotype was you were married with children. You reared the house and that's what you did.
1: I had this aha moment where I just went, fuck. It hit me when we were doing the show, and then it was so bad, I recompartmentalized it in my own way. Oh, babe! She plays the piano when he does his thing.
0: To distract herself from what's going on so she can't hear them.
1: Yeah. Oh my and god. He does this, obviously, more than once, because this is her ritual as per to his ritual. Yep. And it's how she copes. It's It's how she gets through the day with a nice glass of red and some tunes on the piano. And like she has this moment of pause on the piano where she just checks in and is like, yep, they're in the library. Maybe not right, right now. now. Yeah. And uh, if you notice, that is the recurring theme. Every time Bruce needs his way, we are catering to Bruce. There's that underscore of with any other character. I think there were moments where he shined and he was a great
0: dad. Mm-hmm. There were a handful especially uh, there the couple of moments that I really liked were, you know, the phone conversations that like he would have with Allison when she was in college and it just felt like a daddy-daughter relationship. Dad was giving oh, advice, yeah. she was there for it, it was great and only when faced with dirty things, dark things, hard topics, did he just run away and he didn't want to face it. And, you know, that final letter that she writes where she comes out and she goes, did you get my letter? And he just avoids the question and then hands the phone off to mom and she goes, did you get my letter? And mom's like, yeah, and then nothing. And then it, we're just not going to talk about it. I mean, also props to Allison for coming out to her parents in a letter that took days yeah. to get home.
1: Oh. <laughs> oh, the tubs of ice cream and amount of in bedtime I would have had to deal with. Oh
0: my God. I can't even imagine. Oh, no, man. no. Although actually
1: not so different. I actually came out in an email. Oh, you to my did? Oh. So weirdly, I have that parallel where I had to wait for the response.
0: Oh, God. I can't, yeah. I would be dead. I would literally be dead. I'd be like, no, I got to just. Yeah. Oh. I
2: don't know where you came from. I wish I did. I feel so dumb. I feel your swagger and your bearing and just right clothes. You're wearing your short hair and your dungarees and your lace-up boots
1: and your keys. are oh. about allison in college for a little bit how about this uh so this coming out experience uh in college she is a smart girl and you know again the sort of hubris of youth she is a smart person thinks she knows everything about the world but knows nothing joan what do we think of joan
0: oh i mean i, I- I love Joan because a representation of that very first infatuation that you have, whether it is, you know, your first thing in college or your first queer experience, like whatever it is, it is so relatable because it is so authentic. Like the fact that Allison falls so quickly in love with Joan. I'm changing my major to Joan. I'm going to, you know, like my, my focus is, you know, on the ass of Joan. Like, it, you know, it, it, you are celebrating this, this person that was your first experience because you were finding yourself and then somebody saw you, right? That's one of Allison's underlying like themes is being seen, being recognized, being, uh, I, not, um, being accepted, being, you know, all those things. And Joan, saw her and said and was the first person to go yeah well your dad clearly thinks you're a lesbian because he sent you this book like he wouldn't have he didn't send you any other book he sent you this book and she sees it pretty quickly for what it is and she's the first person to give Allison the space to go oh my god I think I am this person and then supports her in that in a in a carnal way in an emotional way like she really does that and so I I love Joan because although she only is like she's a you know a side character in this but she is there for some really pivotal moments and I it is a really great representation of that first romance I think
1: so to set the scene because we haven't talked about this before so Ring of Keys is a pivotal moment in Alison Bechtel's youth where she suddenly realizes she's not like other girls. Mm-hmm. Where she suddenly has weird flutterings in her youth mm-hmm. for a random, handsome lesbian delivery person. Yes. Okay. And the Ring of Keys is firmly strapped to her waistband. Mm-hmm. Then proceeds to sing one of the most beautiful children's Broadway songs ever. <sighs> It's sort of this amazing metaphor and something so relatable because I think we as queer people all have that moment that is burned into our memory of like, oh, that's when I knew. Mm -hmm. So I ask you, what is your ring of keys? My
0: ring of keys. Uh, This is going to be so unbelievably silly, but I... um, but I'm going to say it anyway. So um, the 1999 cinematic masterpiece, The Mummy. Um, the moment when Anoxuna Moon walks on screen in gold and black body paint. And it's nothing but her entire body with a little skirt on covered in gold and black paint. And I immediately felt feelings that I could not identify. But I knew... They made me feel good. So uh, I watched that movie on repeat pretty often in my childhood. And I'd say I was probably about 11 or 12. And that's, I think that was my ring of keys moment going, whoa, the curves of this human being look beautiful and I want to touch them. Those are feelings. A little bisexual panic. Yeah, that
1: was a huge bisexual
0: panic for you. Oh my yes. god, the the biggest bisexual panic, if you will.
1: Well, as one hundred percent homo, definitely a different experience. Oh um, yes, I'm I, sure. <laughs> I, no, well, of course, like cinema. Like we, I, I have my staples of like young youth boyhoods. Like I yeah. do have like the open vest of Aladdin, the loincloth cloth of Tarzan. <gasps> oh my god, the, yes. ripple, the rippling muscles of ah! Hercules. But you know, those are all just sort of there. Uh, there are two moments I absolutely sort of define as my ring of keys. One is very much a youth-centric thing and mm-hmm. the other is when I couldn't deny it any longer. Oh, there you go. W- one, I was in third grade and there was a poster up above our main chalkboard. Yes, we use chalk. <laughs> <laughs> <Not> dry erase.
0: <laughs> I adore you so much.
1: <laughs> what well, was a cute little country school? So
0: yeah, of chalk. course, of course.
1: Up above was a poster of five Dalmatians, and the center one had rainbow polka dots as opposed to the regular black spots of the Dalmatians. And then below it was individuality. (gasps) Cute! And I always remember, like, staring up at that poster going, I think I'm the rainbow spotted Dalmatian. (gasps) Baby! Oh! Yeah. Yeah. So there's that, but the a quintessential ring of keys moment for me where I was like, <laughs> 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 I am walking downtown, minding my own business when all of a sudden around the corner walks this shoulder length haired man in a white T-shirt blue jeans and unlaced boots.
0: Damn. All
1: right. Slight stubble. He's just like confident as hell. All of the sudden, my nethers were up in my throat. (laughs) (laughs) I think I froze like I wasn't walking anymore. You were just staring. (laughs) Standing in the middle of a sidewalk. And all of the sudden uh, he looks up. He sees me, gives a little smirk walks by
0: oh my god i'm dead and
1: in in old gay fashion but it's it's the sign right you sort of glance at each other and then you know that if you turn around and are glancing at each other again you know what's on well my head turns because i'm still enamored and i'm like weirdly following this guy oh my god no She, <laughs> without hesitation gracefully spins around continues walking backwards and gives me like a head nod up, <gasps> smiles, and turns around gracefully again and keeps on walking. Oh. And, and I'm like, <sighs> uh, I need to go home and figure something out. <laughs> 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 That's my my Ring of Keys moment. And I think as, you know, queer people, we all have that. And, you know, it's one of those beautiful things that is so relatable and something that, you know, we can only love as Alison Bechtel would put into the world with this sort of this idea of a Ring of Keys. Because it's it's that relatable.
2: Day of bargains I made because I thought as a wife I was meant to and now my life is shattered and laid bare days and days and days and days
1: Well, like a ring of keys dangling, uh, we have a couple things to uh, get off our jingle jangle. Uh, How about we get into some strong and weak points?
0: (laughs) We have to get off our jingle jangle because it's also the holiday season. So, of course, that like just. It sure
1: is. Well, if you're in Riverdale, jingle jangle is like. Crack cocaine.
0: Oh, isn't that neat? I haven't watched yeah. Riverdale in a minute. Uh,
1: pretty hot and heavy. Oh, so. my
0: God. Fantastic. <laughs> um, strong and weak points of this show. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, I want to know. I want to know what strong. Let's start strong.
0: Strong point of this show. One of the strongest points, I think, for me is um, the, the, the way that the narrative is kind of laid out for us by Allison she becomes our narrator through this whole thing and I love the fact that she also is the anchor point through all of the things that maybe not necessarily that she can't remember but like she is like our Hermes in this way, right? She's telling us this story. She's telling us what's important. She's pointing us where we need to be. Um, and again, as a theater goer that gets lost very quickly, I love somebody who can tell me that story. But I think more than that, I really appreciated the vulnerability with which this story is told because it, as a queer person, it really gives me things to identify with. It gives me things to latch on to. It's very relatable. It's a wildly relatable show.
1: Yeah. Um, I will all start weak then because piggybacking, I would say, I think for I don't think this is a novice theater goers first time type of show. Mm -mm, mm
2: -mm. You should
1: not do this if you're unable to separate abstraction. And if you just want a linear show, go watch Oklahoma. But if you want, (laughs) you know, something that might go beyond, you know, (laughs) someone going to tell Judd to kill himself, maybe, Yeah. you know, this could be up your alley. So I think this is weak only in, I don't think this is for everyone, at least not right away. What you say is true. Allison, old adult Allison, does a really good job of taking us through this story, but subject matter-wise, and just the way that, like, things are popping in and out, Mm -hmm. I can see... Someone getting somewhat lost, if not ready. I don't disagree with you because I think, yeah, like if we went and saw this together Mm -hmm. at some theater space, it would be absolutely doable. But for Joe Schmo from Indiana suddenly hopping into the Broadway stage, I don't (laughs) think as this first broadway show i don't think this would be it i don't think this would satiate any sort of artistic need and they would walk away going oh, i'm never going back to new york again those weirdos so
0: <laughs> those weirdos <laughs> yeah so oh my god yeah
1: that that would be my that would be my weak point i think the strong point for me specifically is the the humor that they've been able to interject into even some of this most serious of moments and i uh, we i think adult allison is again like you say our anchor in this and she really um is able to bring this forward it sort of adds that humanity yeah like you were saying and so like that relatability to where like the awkwardness we see of allison in college and like we as a way older adults start to feel the uh, questions sort of seep up from the underground and how we see the stupidity of our lives every day and just ask why why am I this way why am I standing here (laughs) exactly so I think I think you know we found in throughout the season about death that a smile and a laugh is kind of key in cutting through some of the Mm topicry that, um, especially this, and this is like the peak of understanding that sort of uh, type of show, I think.
0: Yeah. I feel like if I had to come up with a weak point, um, which is really hard for me with this particular show, because it was just so... It's so beautifully done. I would think that it, it does. The only thing I could say is it does kind of fall into the Hades town. A lot of the songs go into one another, and mm-hmm. there's no real like, you know, it's not like your quote standard musical where like you, you know, you kind of know what the song is going to be when you know, the dialogue leads into the musical number. And so it's kind of an easy roadmap to follow. This was very much like, I mean, it did follow the structure of like you have a scene and then the song kind of naturally followed it. But there were a lot of times where like, I did not know the name of the song because the dialogue didn't really like clue me into it. So I think like if you're looking for a weak point, that one might be, this is a little too nebulous for this particular type of show. Um, I would have assumed that, there would have been a little bit more structure as far as the songs are concerned um but i mean that's a real that's reaching
1: so beautifully strung together yeah. but that's been the issue with the last three shows now because next to normal Town, and fun home we're dealing with hard subject matter yep. heavy subject matter deep wordy abstract subject matter and when the, the only way to do it is this way to my knowledge yeah and i don't know how to be more clear i guess in yeah i i wouldn't know how to do it if i were putting on this show so you know it's not really a read it's just more like it is what it is and we accept that hey did i mention that new project i've taken on oh you've seen it out that old house out on Route 150 it's been standing out there empty 40 50 years at least telephone
2: wire stop too fast telephone wire Make this not the past This car ride This is where it has to happen There must be some other chances
1: Oh, it's earlier than I thought. Your favorite song in this show, what is it?
0: Is it a cop out if I say it's "Ring of Keys"? <laughs> I don't
1: think it is because, like I said, that to me, that is the best child's Broadway song ever. F- Annie, <laughs> the sun will come Ooh, out. You betcha. This Ring of Keys <laughs> is what I'm saying. You know, like yeah
0: forget it i'm just going with my gut it's ring of keys because it's hey, just uh, such job. a yeah, <laughs> good job yeah good job thank good you job.
1: <laughs> i agree I, you know it really is so good uh, the the opening number of the show is fantastic and sets a tone yeah the, there's something so raw about helen's days and days
0: oh yeah of course
1: that hits me raw but i don't like it because it it hurts listening to, Yeah. but telephone wire, it really is any moment that you're with your parent and you wish you kind of had an answer for, I think. Yeah. And that's super relatable. Um, flying away though is absolutely a close second as the, you know, show ender. Yeah. And it's beautiful where Allison kind of gets some closure to be like, there was sometimes moments of synergy with my dad and those are the things I'm going to cleave on to. At least that's the moment or that's the, the message I get
0: yeah. from it. So then on the other side of this coin, uh, what, what songs would you cut from the show? If you would need to cut a what song,
1: would I cut, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the song I got to sing in my, the, you know, when I was in it, raincoat of love is probably cuttable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's it is taking hold of a moment that uh, you you know, you have two different types of styles of musical songs. You mm-hmm. get a song that takes a moment and expounds on it, or you get a song that moves, pro- moves and progresses the story forward. Raincoat of Love takes a moment of where that person's mental state is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at this moment, Allison needed to go inside her television set and watch her favorite TV show to escape a moment of craziness in the fun home. You know, it could be cut. It's not driving the story forward.
0: Uh, This one's really hard for me. There are your songs that actually get sung and then you've got your, you know, dialogue bits that go in between those things. Yeah. And this one is really difficult because it is so well woven together. The songs and and the crossovers meld so perfectly together because you're doing things like scene transitions, or you're getting mm-hmm. people off stage like there's no I don't know it didn't really seem to me like there was uh, you know watching this uh iteration that we saw and then you know having seen you in this show and like seen it live there really didn't seem to be a lot of like downtime or like big gaps or things that we were waiting for because everything just kind of seemed to go together so like I would probably just agree with you because like I don't really have a standout that's like this needs to go yeah
1: and and yeah it's the weird thing because every other song has its purpose and driver for the plot and that's just why i'm like well raincoat of love is cuttable because it's not doing anything except showing what allison needed in that moment and maybe where it told us via where she would try to escape mentally um in her mind and maybe that's important for us for you know objectivity and the overall scope of understanding <laughs> of the show. I don't know. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's hard. I'm a man.
2: I don't know who am I now or do I go? I can't go back. I can't find my way through. I might still break a heart or two. But when the sunlight hits the parlor wall at certain times of day I see how fine this house could be, I see it so damn clear, oh my god, why am I standing here?
1: Well, it's a cold slab we all end up on. But uh, this particular table uh, is a little bit warmer and has a few uh, tests we like to run through and one with our author's origin. So uh, let's do some Bechdelian type tests with our questions for table read. It's
2: my favorite part. <laughs> You'll see. They almost all know how to read.
1: If. Allison Bechtel can't pass this test. Oh God! There is is no,
0: (laughs) there is no hope
1: hope for for the rest of us. So, women, do women pass this test in Fun Home?
0: I mean, I would absolutely say yes because you know they're. We, like we mentioned earlier in the beginning of this episode, like Allison is, she's talking about the love of a man, but it's her paternal figure. It's not somebody she's in love
1: with. She's not pining over them.
0: No, I mean, she's pining in a way that is like a daughter that's wanting her father's approval and like wanting his attention. Um, so that is different. But like, as far as women are concerned in this, in this show, um, there's, n- there's no, I guess the only real person that really doesn't pass that test, I suppose, is Helen because she is kind of pining for her husband. She's wanting him to come back and like, and eventually she kind of gives up the ghost and is like, okay, well, if you're going to live this life then that's cool, I guess I'm here.
1: I would even, you know, go to bat for her saying it's not even about wanting, his affection or you know approval she she's sort of again caught up in it and we yeah. get to see how it's effect like the effects of that on her and it's not even the pining after the husband it's just trying to figure out why he won't just be a normal husband <laughs>
0: <laughs> i mean so, but really though I mean, yeah
1: <laughs> yeah so uh, truly i do kind of give everything a pass if anything we're not liking the mid-Allison, college Allison, who's pining after the girl. Yeah. So does that count? <laughs> <you> I know. <laughs> mean...
0: No, because I think the Bechtel test is supposed to be pining for a man, so yeah, so no.
1: Yeah, we don't need no man. We, we just above- need all... We need all the labia, so... Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, what's, what's a show without a I little labia, so... <laughs>
1: I also say these terms. I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I know not. I, I know nothing. So, Do not send me down there. I don't know what's happening.
0: I mean, I don't want this to be a Leah Michelle and Jonathan Groff scenario where she just like flashes her vag at him and is like, "Here, here's what it looks like," and he goes, "Oh, that's interesting." Um, but I mean, um, I'll show you a diagram sometime. It'll be fine. <laughs>
1: If you if you don't know where this reference is from, this is from the Spring Awakening documentary. Yes, yes. <laughs> On Max now, I presume. Yes,
0: it's a very it's a very <laughs> touching story. Mm.
1: Leah Michelle unabashedly flashing the veheen to oh. show a gay Jonathan Groff. This is what this is.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> No.
1: I'm high on Christmas, so. um, <laughs> um Did you get for your. The, for the Christmas? For Christmas? Did, for you, get, for it's, the Christmas. did you get yourself a Yule log? I got myself a Yule log. Oh. I want a bit of ginger beer. Oh, a little bit of ginger beer. <laughs> what the f. What happened?
2: is this? What is this? Who is this? I don't know, but. <laughs>
0: There is no one else I would rather be stupid with than you, just as I long as we're clear. I don't. Cool.
1: <laughs> cool. <laughs> so this is this is one I'm almost reticent about with race because Al- this is essentially an autobiography, right? Oh, absolutely. So it's Alison Bechtel's life. But that being said, I don't think it would hurt for this family unit to be any other race in no. our race question. No. So, you know, you could cast the extraneous boy actor as whatever. Uh-huh. And I think they did on Broadway. He was a, a at least a slight person of color, mm-hmm. but, um, You know the Bechtel family themselves were all pretty white, but you know I—that's my take. I, but of course it has to be cohesive as a family unit. What it's one as it must be all. So yeah, that makes sense.
0: I mean, I I think I agree with you in that since it is autobiographical and it's going, it's based off of a you know a, a real person. So I would I would say that if you're going to like, in a lot of our other shows we've been able to like cast different different roles as different races. All of, like you said, the whole family would have to be like the uh, of a similar race, and so, like you, you really like. I don't know. I think it would be hard to try and cast like Helen as a different race than Allison as a different race than um, any of the yeah. brothers. Like, I think that because you would. This is
1: supposed to be said in reality, so to speak. Correct. And in the so,
0: 1970s, yeah. is like, you know, if you're trying to stay in that time period, like you would want it to all be similar yeah. that's not to say that you couldn't do it if you wanted to do some sort of like different casting but does the script call for something specific no like does it state one way or the other what someone is in the text no so you have the freedom to do it and
1: representation uh i say uh a's across the board
0: oh yes i mean 1, 000, S s tier representation i feel
1: yeah, however, I, you know, a little downtrodden that, of course, there is some pedophilia-ish tones yeah. in this show. So, that is going to be something, um, maybe that's a doc on it, but...
0: Yeah, and I would say the, the whole, I mean, I know that historically it's probably accurate, but, like, the being queer through adversity and only finding... You know, happiness and love through adversity is also kind of a trope that is hard. But I mean, historically, it kind of seems a little accurate, which sucks. But I mean, yeah. That maybe is also a little bit of a tick just because, I mean, uh, the good thing that I will say is that for Allison's relationship specifically, we don't see a lot of hardship with her uh, in being with Joan. We only really see that as a reflection on her from her family, but we don't see a lot of other struggles that happen with that. So I think that's good. But like, yeah, the whole finding love through adversity is just hard.
1: Does the story hold up without the music?
0: I would, I would honestly say yes. I would watch this show without the music. I,
1: yeah, this, I mean, this is. I brought this show up recently. Rabbit Hole, just as a straight play, it's super depressive. Um, but this is along the lines of like doubt, and yeah. uh, like just that hard subject material and things that you're dealing with. But I would absolutely just watch this as a. Great play and knowing that it just came from a graphic novel, mm-hmm. like it has its own sort of story outside of this. So yeah. I think one hundred percent it would be intriguing. I'm gonna even say I think Alison Bechtel, this would make a fantastic film.
0: Oh, so. in a minute I would watch a film of this absolutely
1: would you want it with or without music?
0: Ooh, You know, I think I would want it with music as, like, the first go because that's what everybody knows this as. So, like, you know, it's like when Dear Evan Hansen came out with the film, like, they had to have the music in it because, like, everybody's already, you know, with it. But, like, if somebody, you know, takes this and makes it an indie film without the music, that would, I mean... I'd be about it, but, like, if it's going to be a blockbuster, like, have funding behind it, you're going to put the music to it, because everybody knows. I mean, those who know Fun Home know the music from it. You put out a film that doesn't have that, they'll riot. The theater kids will riot.
1: (laughs) We don't want that.
0: No, no. Or do do we? We'd be carrying the banner
1: through it all, so. (laughs) I know my answer to this next question. Can this change era, time, decade?
0: You know what? I'm going to say no.
1: I unequivocally say no.
0: Yeah, I don't think so. Because there's too many things set in the time period where this lives that lead to the the points that we have to go through the the plot points I mean the story's not driven forward if you're in an era where everybody is open and you know like being homosexual is or queer in general is accepted like that that changes how the dad feels and that also changes like if the dad grew up in an era where yeah okay it wasn't necessarily right but then like you become more accepting over time like he does then not go through the dark night of the soul that he's got to go through, and then ultimately, I don't think he'd step in front of the bus, so or the truck. But I mean, yeah, I think this has to stay where it is.
1: It, it like it's her life. This was when she grew up. This it has to be here.
0: Yep. <clears throat> Amateur
1: or professional scale of one to ten. Where would you set this? If a regional community theater put this on, how hard would this be based upon the Broadway show?
0: Um. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna set this at a four. And uh, I think mostly because we've seen it in a community theater in Montana, of all places. So, like, if Montana can do it, most anywhere can. Um, you know, based on the between uh, the comparisons between that and the Broadway show, Broadway show's got a little. I mean, obviously, we've got more um, yeah, resources the of all the stuff yeah.
1: going up and down in the floor. Yeah, yeah. and mm. I
0: mean, you know, you've got like you're doing this show in the round, and so like there's there's more there's more challenges that come with doing something in the round. And when we saw it, it was in a, you know, a proscenium, like a three quarter thrust, um, you know, show. So everything is like very forward-facing. Um, but I mean, it is not, I mean, the dancing specifically, like, I mean, you could speak to this more than I can being a choreographer, but there were not a lot of complicated dance numbers. There's a lot of um, choreography in like moving set pieces and people making sure they don't run into each other as you're coming on and off from scenes.
1: That was totally one of the hardest parts of the show, not would, having the mechanical floor stuff. It was it was yeah. the set choreography, not necessarily the, yeah. the dancing, but...
0: Absolutely, but yeah, that's where I'd put it. I mean, the music is is difficult um, in a sense where like you've got the big group numbers and like again, if you don't hit that harmony, then everything is going to kind of fall apart. Um, Allison has a lot of like really like gut wrenching songs, so emotionally you have to connect with that. I think, but um, from a technical standpoint, I mean, we're not looking at a Hamilton like you know Guns and Ships. Like we're not having to rap battle this stuff. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I yeah, four four I think is a pretty good rating for me.
1: I think I agree. I'm, I think, weirdly, I think this is where I've sat the last few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm sitting right there with you at a four, 4.5-ish. 4. It's hard. The, only, the hardest thing about me that I remember with a show is this, unlike maybe some other shows, there's like some scenes that you just like cut and it stops and like up and go, stop and go. This show is like a runaway train. There is no reprieve. There's not even an intermission in this show. So you just have to strap in and strap on. So (laughs) it's like you go. No matter what, you're on board and you're going. So um, that was what I remember just being the hardest thing, just to mentally go, okay, I have to focus for this next two hours. It's on. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: on like Donkey Kong. uh,
1: yeah, and that was just every everyone had to like lock in and just go, okay, nope, this is it. Where you sometimes get that reprieve to go down in the green room and like, <laughs> no, everyone is working. Everyone is there because it's a small cast show. There's no downtime. Yep. 50 years from now, will Fun Home still be being staged?
0: I want to say yes, because it's very, the subject matter is something that still needs to be talked about. Death is still something that people will always come up against, I mean, funeral homes will continue to be something, I mean, unless technology advances and we don't need it anymore, but um, the concept of the funeral home and coming together and celebrating a life and grieving a death and all of those things are still staples in humanity, so I think as long as those things stay relevant, I think this show will also be relevant.
1: I think this show will stand the test of time. I think it will probably still be around. Whether or not it will be super popular, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it might be uh, like dusty in the back of someone's mind or shelf <laughs> and they <laughs> might dust it off every now and then i'm not sure it will go i think allison Bechtel will continue to be a thing that we uh use as a measuring device and because of that name her work will probably still be at the forefront of people's minds sure ergo i think fun home it might spur up a little bit because of that yeah logistically i think that's what might keep fun home in people's minds absolutely (laughs) and mary would you show fun home to some little green men
0: yes i would show it to the little green men Absolutely. Really? I would. Yes, I would. Cause I think that, you know, I, I like showing it to aliens because they understand projecting, they understand what it, what the actual act of what we are doing is right. The funeral itself, the embalming, the bodies, the burying, everything like those are the things that they understand because history tells them these are things that exist. I would show it to them for the emotional attachment that comes with burying people, losing yourself, losing a parent or any sort of, you know, father figure um, and what it means to really battle yourself to come out the other side and be a new person. Um, I would definitely show it for the emotional aspect of what is around all of the historical material.
1: I'm not sure I would. No? I don't know. There, there's something that ain't hidden about, uh, the time jumps alone are, are giving me pause on this one. Granted, aliens probably know how to time warp, so they could probably just put this show in chronological order themselves, so whatever.
2: see all I can see all of Pennsylvania, I can see all of Pennsylvania. So often there was a rare moment of perfect balance when I soared above him.
0: Final thoughts on Fun Home. Oh, man, this show is so beautiful. It is a a testament to what people can do when they're put up against something that is bigger than themselves. And oh my gosh, I mean, it's a great example of what it means to really find out who it is that you truly are when you go through adversity and that can be adversity with yourself it can be adversity with those who are close to you like your family members i actually have um something that uh, a final one of the final notes that i wrote on this show like chaos never happens if it's never seen don't come back here i didn't raise you to give away your days like me like the concept of a chaos not chaos doesn't exist unless you see it is a wild thing for me. And it's the it's the thing that I battle when like people come into my home, I shove everything in the bedroom because I pretend like chaos doesn't exist and then people don't see it. And I think that this show is incredible to remind you that while chaos may be messy and it might be something that isn't fun to go through, you have to go through it because that's a part of life.
1: I can't help but make a, a connection between that and theater though. You Absolutely. don't know what's happening behind the wings nope. to make the perfect show. No. Nope. It's chaos. So you need the chaos in order to make it perfect. Absolutely. I I would say I don't know. My, my my final thoughts on this one are like all over the place, just because the subject matter is so hard, but I think I'm just grateful. For Alison Bechdel to want to try something so crazy as like a theater show.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, from a graphic novel and sort of trusting the process and seeing the benefit of getting to tell her personal, most intimate story and letting the rest of us see that and connect with it in such a beautiful, abstract and and sort of hard, but amazing way Mm -hmm. and that's that's kind of where i'm sitting i just i'm really grateful for the show and i was grateful to be a part of it and i i would do so again in a heartbeat and i i would love to see it just another production of it too so
0: I love that. And I think that that's incredible. And now I am so eager for this next. This is our second to last in the gauntlet of death uh-huh. of this season. And I I, I got to know a clue because I've been pretty good in the last couple of guessing. So I don't know if I'm going to do it again. But but give me the clue for what we're doing in our second to last show.
1: Uh, how about I just give this? I'll, I'll give you layers. I like layers. maybe you get it. Perfect. It's like a It's like a parfait.
0: It's like a parfait. <laughs>
1: So, We're doing
0: Shrek. We're doing Shrek yes, the musical. Great. That's it. Perfect. Right there. Got that's it. It's
1: totally about death. So the first layer, <gasps> what's like the worst place that you could possibly have your time of the month?
0: <laughs> um, There are many, there are many, many things that I could say about that. The worst place to have one?
1: Uh, the worst people to be around, and being tricked all the time, and suddenly becoming prom royalty, and <gasps> then all of a sudden you get a bucket of pig's blood dropped on your head. Holy
0: shit! We're doing Carrie. <laughs> Ow! Yeah, the worst, oh, now I'm still the worst place to have your period, and they throw tampons at you in the shower in your locker room, oh, God, oh, we're doing Carrie, oh, baby, strap in, I love this, this, I've read the book, and I've watched the movie, and like, oh, my God, let's go, I'm ready.
1: Yeah, this I'm will be kind of coming in, I'm coming in blind, I've <gasps> never seen this physical musical. Sure. I've listened to a few of the songs. Sure. So uh this one's gonna be fresh for me. So Oh my god. Here we, here we go. Here in our second we go- to last in our season about death.
0: I love everything about it. And if you guys want to get in on our conversation on uh this show, the next show, any other shows that we've done in the previous two seasons, make sure you follow us on Instagram from the top underscore podcast. Slide into our DMs if you have any corrections, anything that you want to talk about, anything that you want to antagonize Steven with because apparently he loves to get antagonized in them DMs and if you would like a conversation that lasts a little bit longer than a thousand characters make sure you email us at podcastfromthetop@gmail.com. At Stephen, I am so honored that you, again, that you choose me every week to nerd out about all this stuff with because it's just so freaking cool. And I'm so excited for what 2024 will bring us. And uh, to those of you who are listening, again, thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts and from the bottom of our rehearsal bags and our water bottles and tea cups. We cannot do what we do without you. So thank you so much for listening to us, for sticking with us for as long as you've been. And until next time, this has been... From From the the Top, top. a Wandering Unicorn production. (laughs) So how uncomfortable were you when Bruce Bechtel asked you to unbutton your shirt?
1: Scotch makes you do crazy
2: things.